We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Dr. Leanne Davey. For the past 25 years, Leanne has researched and advised teams on how to achieve high performance. New York Times bestselling author of You First, Inspire Your Team to Grow Up, Get Along, and Get Stuff Done, and The Good Fight, Use Productive Conflict to Get Your Team and Organization Back on Track. Leanne is an expert on increasing productivity, managing healthy tension, developing leaders, and strengthening relationships. What I appreciate most about you, Leanne, is your generous thought leadership and humor. You share so much valuable content to help us improve our relationships and our teams, and you do it with so much levity. And you are kind. <laughs> Welcome to ROG, Leanne. Thanks, Shannon. I'm so excited to be here. And and it's a very nice thing to hear that my work comes off as generous because that's certainly a goal I have. Oh, it is. It, it really is. It has taught me so much. I'm grateful that we get to share some of this with our listeners today. And there'll be a load of links in the show notes for people to just keep lapping it up. (laughs) So so you are an expert on team development. What do you think are some of those essential things that high-performance teams really need? Yeah, I would say it's two main categories. So the first is they need alignment. And alignment is I know my job and what other people are counting on me for. I know how my job fits with my colleagues and my teammates' jobs. I know how our team fits in with other teams in the organization. And I know how all of that kind of creates value for the customer or the shareholder or whomever. So that alignment, and alignment is so severely tested these days because we're doing a really terrible job of prioritizing. So people have very different goals or priorities, uh, things are urgent to one and not to the other. Uh, People are rewarded on different measures. And so no wonder they're kind of working at odds. So alignment is critical. The second half of the equation is a team dynamic based on trust. And trust is incredibly important because it supports candor. Um, The research shows the reason that teams with high trust are more productive is because we take risks. Uh, when we trust our teammates. So we'll ask for feedback or give feedback, both of which are big risks to take when you don't know how it's going to land. We will get into a conflict and get out the other side of it when we trust and we might avoid it if we don't. Um, We'll just do something helpful for a teammate without sort of counting how many helpfuls have you done for me before I do a helpful for you. Um, So those two things, we want strong alignment, clarity uh, all the way from how I'm spending my morning to you know what the organization is doing for the world and we want a strong trust-based dynamic that promotes candor communication conflict collaboration all sorts of other things that start with c <laughs> <laughs> excellent i want to talk about both of those because i agree with you with the multiple priorities right i mean priority at one time was a singular 
reference. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I, let's bring it back, Shannon. Let's bring it back. <laughs> I saw you had a guest that was talking about like priority is one, right? Yes. 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 Exactly. Yes. Like the singular Hallelujah. What, what is the thing. Yes. Hallelujah. And so because that's so hard, like what are some of the things that you recommend to teams or when you see teams that are really getting this one right, what are they doing? Yeah. So I have a YouTube video and a technique that I created after reading some cool research. So if you like fresh, hot, interesting research, I'll share one with you. It was published in the journal Nature and it was laboratory research. So we don't want to go too far into thinking this is, you know, something done in, in an organization, but it's really helpful because what they said is they gave people a complex situation and said, make it better. And pretty much everyone made it better by adding to it, making it more complicated, doing more. And only the second time when they ran a whole new study and said, you can also make it better by doing less. And people were like, oh, and then they figured it out. So it turns out our human default for better is more. And so if we're, so it's why we, I always say, I don't care if you're good at prioritizing because to me, that probably just means you're good at adding priorities. Come talk to me if you're good at deprioritizing. That's when I'll be impressed. Gold star for people who are good at deprioritizing. So the technique I call one yes and three less. And what it does is it says every time you commit to your one, because I'm not giving up on priority meaning one, your single most important thing you need to be paying attention right now, um, don't leave, don't stop, don't pause, switch immediately to saying three things that the person can be spending less time and attention on at the moment. So you could say, look, this is something that, you know, I thought it was a good idea. It's not getting us any return. Let's just delete it. Or, you know what? I need you all your attention on this task. So I'm going to, I'm going to distribute that to somebody else on the team. Or I don't even want you thinking about that till after month end, so we're going to delay it. So there are a whole bunch of strategies. So that's what I really recommend that teams learn the one yes and three less technique. And I hate to actually, you know, send your listeners there because I recorded one yes and three less at the height of COVID when I hadn't had a haircut in eight months. So it's 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 humiliating that people are still watching this video in the hundreds, but uh, worth it. Worth it. I'm willing to sacrifice, be humiliated on YouTube, because if we can get better at not just prioritizing, but deprioritizing, then we're going to have so much less stress for individuals, so much less friction caused by team members having misaligned priorities. So I think one yes and three less is really is something very, very, very important. Brilliant. Brilliant. And if it becomes more of the norm, like where people are talking about that and they're challenging each other on what are some of the things we could do less of, then I think it could really get some traction. Exactly. And we need that conversation to be not just... Uh, not just that people have permission to have that conversation, because when we give permission to people to do things they don't want to do, they tend not to do it, but make it an obligation. We all around the table have an obligation to be not just prioritizing, but deprioritizing. Mm, Excellent. Thank you. So that's one side of the coin, that alignment. The other is trust. And you said a lot of things about trust that I think would be really helpful to dig into. One is candor. So for those who hear candor and think mean or too direct or prickly or whatever people say, you know, to help me understand your oh my favorite one that they say yeah. um you know let me just be brutally honest here i'm like who's going to say yes to that like let me just brutalize you for a moment 
And then I'm like, what? I hate that expression. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Let's be br- yeah, and let then let, let's be you know. Let's not be trust. brutally anything. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, and right. then you'll trust me. Yeah, no. Brutal honesty. Yeah. No, it's it. That sounds painful, and it is. Yes. For, yes. For the receiver. So, what do you mean when you say candor? I ended up just creating my own definition of candor. I, I just like I didn't even look it up in the dictionary. I just decided I'm like, no, I'm I'm creating my own definition. That's just how I roll. So I define candor as my willingness to be uncomfortable for your benefit. So to me, candor is not, I'm going to say something really mean about you that you don't want to hear. That's not candor. Um, Candor is I'm going to make myself vulnerable by saying something that could affect our relationship, could expose some flaw in me, uh, anything else. I'm going to make myself uncomfortable for the benefit of you or the benefit of the team or the benefit of the project or the customer. Um, And when you stick with that definition, Candor is my willingness to be uncomfortable for your benefit. Wow. Do people go like, oh, okay, I get that's that's a whole different level. And wow, the people in my life and in my career who've been willing to be uncomfortable for my benefit, you know, will trust each other to the grave. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot because there's also a correlation between that and feedback. So giving helpful feedback requires the same kind of candor with that definition. I completely agree with you. To me, good feedback, and and people balk at this all the time. I would say feedback's not about the other person. It's about you. The novel information in feedback, if you're doing it right, is about you, is about how their behavior impacted you. The vulnerability, the subjectivity in feedback should all be about you, not them. If you are telling them something that is you know, subjective or, or vulnerable about them, you're doing it wrong. Um, you need to be telling them something extremely objective. When you turned off your camera in the middle of my presentation, something that the other person can't, can, they'll be like, yep, I turned off my camera. Then the candor in good feedback is, I started telling myself this whole story about how you're not invested in my work, about how I was like blowing the presentation. The candor is in feedback, you're sharing that someone's behavior had an impact they didn't know about, and you're doing them a favor by telling them the impact. Other stuff is not feedback, it's really judgment. And so I think if we could start to separate the difference between what is feedback and what is judgment, we would be in much better shape. 80% of what I hear is judgment. Um, And when I hear the 20% that's true, candor and vulnerability about how someone else's behavior impacted me. Woo! I hear the music playing. It's so exciting. <laughs> it is. And the example that you use around the specificity of when you turned the camera off, right? It's not like when you disrespected me. Right. So the secret is yeah. no adjectives allowed. Good feedback when you're talking about the other person's behavior should be an adjective-free zone. So just practice before you go, like write out what you're going to say and hunt for adjectives. And if you don't remember what an adjective is, Google it. Um, (laughs) Adjectives are squishy and slimy and open to misinterpretation. Managers should really remove adjectives from their language altogether Mm -hmm. because adjectives are the source of unclear expectations. They're the source of hurt feelings and, and a sense of being judged. So adjectives, bad, except if you're, I don't know, writing fiction. Um, and even in writing fiction, apparently adjectives are going out of style. Um, and we want nouns and verbs. 
So, you know, when you turned your camera off in this, right? So it's not, you know, you were rude during my presentation. What's rude? And, and, you know, somebody gave me an example on LinkedIn the other day of like their grandchild was visiting and, um, and started uh, like running behind their camera naked <laughs> while they were, uh, while they were on a call. And of course the person turned off the, so is it rude? No, it's, it's actually probably illegal to leave their camera on. But when we, when we jump to an adjective like rude, um, we miss the chance to, you know, first be candid ourselves and then, you know, invite uh, candor in response. Yes. yes, beautiful. Thank you so much. I think that's really going to help people who want to be generous leaders yes. and want to be kind and catch themselves in that nice trap. So I would like you to share your thought leadership on that difference between kind and nice. Because as generous leaders, I mean, even the word generosity could be interpreted as nice. And I mean it as kind and you mean it as kind. So let's differentiate. I'm, I'm getting down on nice. I am seeing so many negative impacts of nice. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm being harsh, if I'm being brutally honest, no, kidding. Um, <laughs> if I'm being direct, I would say, you know, the vast majority of times that I experience people who want to think about themselves and frame themselves as nice, they're quite passive. Um. And of course, because when we interact with other humans, things go wrong. Those nice people who don't want to say something that isn't nice sometimes become passive aggressive as well. They aren't willing to make themselves uncomfortable to make you better or help you. They just want everything to be lovely and happy and harmonious. And those are the people who get into profound conflict debt. Those are the people who really hold teams back. So to me, kind is a higher standard. It's just, it's more active. Um, it is, it is um, actually, like often nice is an error of omission. You didn't do or say the thing that could have made things better. Kindness is I'm going to do or say the thing. Again, candor is a form of kindness and generosity. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to do these things. They may be uncomfortable in the moment. They may make, you know, a 15 minute discussion that is going to be <laughs> hot. <laughs> um, and yet in the long run, it, it's the kind thing to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so we're nice. Yeah. Don't be nice. Be kind. Don't be nice. That, be kind. That's going to be a takeaway tip for sure. So we, you mentioned conflict debt. Yes. What is that? <laughs> What the heck is that? Um, so conflict debt is a, a term that I coined to help people reframe their thinking. So many people I know, starting with me, um, really despise conflict, avoid conflict. Uh, and I, I really want people to understand that conflict debt is more costly to us and to our teams than conflict itself. Um, you know, if it, I love the Nelson Mandela quote, he talks about somebody asked him if he resented his captors. He said, no, because I understand that resenting is swallowing poison, hoping the other person will die, which is such an amazing 
insight from someone who probably deserved to to resent. But as he said, he didn't deserve to resent because he didn't deserve to have any more poison in his system, right? So conflict debt is when we avoid the things that need to be addressed to be able to move forward and instead let them pile up. And like credit card debt, not only do we have to, you know, someday pay off the principal, but we have to pay off that interest that's compounding as the relationship turns sour, as we start to read one another's emails with a tone and an edge that wasn't there in the first place, as we then drop eye contact and get really salty and crusty in, in meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So conflict debt is, is this idea that uh, we can't afford to be paying interest. And, uh, and many people have told me that their conflict debt in a team got so bad they had to declare bankruptcy. Um, and just leave or quit because they didn't know how to get out of it. So conflict debt is, in most cases, obviously not in the case of physical um, physical abuse or or when you're physically threatened, but in mm-hmm. in most cases in yeah. teams, yeah, yeah, most mm-hmm. cases in mm-hmm. teams, um, getting to the other side of the conflict, particularly if you don't like conflict, is better than ensuring that you're going to live with it because you haven't done anything about it. Well, Leanne, you are the queen of practical tips. Like you really are. You take things that are complicated and ugly and things that we have fear around, and then you say, okay, here's one thing you could do. So if if I recognize I have conflict debt with someone, what's a practical thing that I could do? Let me tell you a great story from a friend. Uh, I was at a session with a friend and we were going to dinner and, and sometime about two o'clock in the afternoon, he said, can I reserve the spot beside you at dinner? I said, yes. Yes, you can. And, uh, and so he sat beside me at dinner. He's like, I'm in conflict debt. Bad. I've got it bad. And so he told me this situation and he was right. He was two years into a conflict debt with his wife that was not good. And so I told him I was cutting up his credit card. Nothing else could go on, on plastic anymore. Uh, he had to actually address the issues as they came up. And so we had this great conversation and he agreed. And then a couple of months later, he phoned me in the morning from the car, I could hear the sound of the road in the background. And he said, I just had to tell you, I left the house in conflict debt this morning with her. And I know I promised I wouldn't do that. So I phoned her from the car and I said, you know, we need to talk about this tonight. This is really important. So he's like, does it count making the minimum payment? And I just laughed. I said, of course it does. So sometimes what you want to do is you want to make the minimum payment, which is just to say, you don't even have to have resolved it, but you make that minimum payment by saying, we need to talk about this. That's Mm -hmm. a very practical and healthy, good start. Mm -hmm. Um, Other things are you can work on your credit rating. So what can I do with that person with whom I'm in conflict debt to um, you know, ask them some questions, understand them a little better, listen to them more effectively or more deeply, and be curious about what their reality is. Those are things that will start to increase your credit rating. So before you ever try and renegotiate your conflict debt, <laughs> you've improved your standing and you'll get a better rate. It won't be as painful to, to pay it off. As, so those are some things that you can do to make a start. Um, of course, like I told my friend, at some point you want to cut up the card and just um, have those conversations really quickly. So if you're in the meeting in the morning, somebody turns off their camera, you're concocting this wonderful story about how they don't respect you or aren't interested. 
you know, the email goes out right away to say, would love to check in with you. Not sure how my presentation landed. Would would love to to chat. Um, then you're never racking up conflict debt in the first place. But if you've got it, just start. Chip away. And do you recommend writing that email once you can do so constructively? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. And sometimes when you're in the heat of it, we could be accusatory. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing more useful than saving drafts of emails. The only thing I will uh, encourage you is don't put the person's name in the to bar until you're ready. So make that the last thing you do. Cause I have known people who've done that, like written out the venting blast email with the intention to save the draft and accidentally hitting send. So don't put the name in yes. or put your own name in. So, you know, because right, then now you've just accrued more debt. Oh, and that's, oh yes, that's even worse. Yes, yes, yes. that's so you not help pretty. a lot of teams with this challenging topic of conflict, <laughs> yes. and even just the word conflict. <laughs> yeah, it has an it's like feedback. People like it don't has like an association it. <laughs> with something painful, right? Yes. Um, so I know you very often refer to it as healthy tension, yeah. which I think is a nice way to say it. Yeah. Healthy debate, healthy tension. What are some of the mistakes that you see people make when they're disagreeing with other people on their team? The number one is they fight for their own truth before fighting for the other person's truth. That's the number one thing. If you want Mm -hmm. to radically transform what conflict is like in your life, at home, at work, everywhere else, the only thing you need to do to get started is work to make sure that the other person's truth is in the open before you say a word about your own truth. So you're gonna do that with a technique I call validation. I have a YouTube video I can share on how to do that. So validation is simply when they say something, even if you completely disagree with it, your first step is to validate them by making them feel heard and understood. So if they say, you know, we need to have a customer event before the end of the year. And you may be thinking, are you kidding me? Like it's November, we like what? Um, so that that's possible. And so what you want to say is contradict them. And so instead, what you want to do, the first thing out of your mouth is simply, okay, so you feel like it's important that we have a customer event. You don't have to agree with them. You simply have to make them feel like you heard them and understood them. Step two, uh, inquire, get curious. So what the heck could be causing them to recommend a customer event when all these other things are going on? And so then you just ask, you know, what do you see as the benefits of doing that? You know, tell me about your thought process, you know, something that is a blank canvas onto which they can paint the things that matter to them. You may need to do a couple of rounds of asking those questions, but at some point you'll be able to take a stab at what their truth is. So, um, you know, you're telling me that, you know, people are so overwhelmed and bombarded that our marketing messages aren't getting to the customers. And the only way we're really going to get them there is to have them face to face, create a real go to event that everybody wants to be at. If that's their truth and you state that what's going to happen is through reciprocity, which is how humans work, um, they are then going to be willing to hear your truth. Uh, and you could say, and, and and it might be that you agree with them that that is an issue that the customers don't know. Um, and you might say, I think there's a step before that. From my perspective, I feel like one mm. of the reasons we're not getting them is we need to rethink our marketing messages or our marketing delivery 
or you may say something different altogether. And once you've spoken their truth, they will be much more willing to hear your truth. Then what you've got is what I refer to as the two truths. And once you've got the two truths, it's just kind of like doing algebra where you've got two equations and an unknown, right? It's like, I can, we can figure this out. So if we need to, you know, make sure our customers are actually paying attention to our messages and we need to make sure, right, you can have the two, then what do we do? So that mm-hmm. two truths strategy, it also, uh, you know, when I tell the stories, I tell it often about how I needed to use it on my teenage daughter at some point works amazingly with teenagers. And you'll find if you care more and are more invested in getting their truth out before you start trying to beat them over the head with your truth, um, you will have a completely different experience. So asking those same kinds of questions to whomever. Oh, exactly the same questions. Yeah. First, make them feel heard. So the story I tell was because my daughter came home from school one day proclaiming that she hated her music teacher. And I blew it. I just said, you don't hate your music teacher. I, I broke the cardinal rule. I told somebody else how they feel. And I lost the privilege for about three weeks. And then when we finally could reopen the conversation again, I said, okay, you hate your music teacher. That must be really rough. You've got an hour and 20 minutes a day. Um, and then I could ask, you know, you've always loved music. What, what's that about? What's going on? And it turned out that what was going on was something very different than what I thought. The teacher was bullying somebody in the class. My kid is a very social justice crusader, and that was very upsetting to her. And so I could completely understand the situation differently. And once I made it clear that, you know, I was also upset and worried about that, then I could say, the other truth is, I'm worried about you losing your love of music. I'm worried about this affecting your music grade. Um, you know, those sorts of things. And she was completely open to hearing those things the second time when I was willing to hear her truth Mm. first. Oh, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And that that cardinal rule is to never tell someone what they're feeling. Yeah, never tell somebody one of three things. I just blew one of them in that example, but never tell somebody what they think. So, you know, we'll often say like, uh, you don't like this. You don't think that this is a good idea. You don't want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, don't tell them how they think. Don't tell them how they feel. And don't tell them who they are. And we do that a lot as well. It's like, well, I know you're the cheerleader or you're the detail-oriented or you're the this or you're the that. We tell people who they are. Any of those things can create a defensive uh, reaction, even if they're true. <laughs> because, mm. um, you know, I may be disengaged or I might think something, but you don't get to tell me that. I get Mm -hmm. to tell you that. So when we overstep that, we violate the rules of healthy conflict. And we tend to, you know, lose relationship capital with the person that we're talking to. So brilliant, Leanne. Thank you so much. So the ROG takeaway tip. Yeah. How our listeners can apply what you've said to their own work and lives. Here's here's my recap. One is to do less. Okay, good. To simplify. Please. Definitely. Be kind. Definitely. In that candid, loving, yes. Not that nice. willingness to <laughs> do for others while making yourself uncomfortable. That work on your mm-hmm. credit rating by understanding yes. people better. A word I heard you say repeatedly was curiosity. So how to be curious and trying to understand. Curiosity is kryptonite to defensiveness. So it's really hard for somebody else to be defensive if you're being curious. Genuinely curious, right? Seeking first to Mm -hmm. understand. And then the validating others through curiosity and not breaking that 
cardinal rule or any of those three cardinal rules, really like yeah. living at that higher standard of human interaction. Yeah, if people just put that into effect today, wow. <laughs> okay, I know those are hard. <laughs> they take they take practice. They take yeah. willingness to work through something uncomfortable to get to something much better. I think about it a lot mm-hmm. like I think about doing abdominal exercises. I hate doing abdominal exercises, but ever since I started doing them, I have 15 minutes three times a week where I'm really uncomfortable, but the whole rest of the week I can walk, I can stand up and facilitate for eight hours. I can do all sorts of things that make my life a lot better. So yes, I am asking you to three times a week, have an uncomfortable conversation, be candid in a way that makes you feel vulnerable, give somebody feedback or ask for feedback. But 15 minutes, three times a week is going to buy you, you know, wonderful relationships in all parts of your life. For sure. And that's the return on generosity, right? That's there. the return on generosity. That's it. That's it. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. We found it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you for being you and for making the time to invest in us. I so appreciate you, Leanne. Oh, it was a huge pleasure. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.